welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we thank you so much for the pleasure and the joy of being invited into your presence to worship you. Lord, worshiping you is pure joy. It is pure joy to behold who you are and to savor who you are and then express that back to you in song and in our lives. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. As we open your word uh, this morning, we just pray that you would show us your son again. Show us the irresistible Christ that he is. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be amazed our hearts would be dazzled by who he is, and that that would change our whole behavior, that we'd want to do everything to follow this king, that we would want to do everything to be faithful witnesses of him. Lord, this is a work only you can do. Only you can cause hearts that have become hard and callous to be warmed and alive to you again. And that's a process that happens every week. Our hearts become hardened And we pray, Lord, you are the only one that can soften and liven hearts. They beat with just pleasure and joy in you. And Lord, you're the only one that can take dead hearts, Lord. For anyone that's here that doesn't know you, Lord, there's a deadness that's there that only you can give life to. Only you can bring that kind of resurrection life. And so we pray that you do that this morning, that if there's anyone here that does not know you, as they see who your son is, that they would be joyfully just turned from everything that they've held on to, whether it's sin or pride or the esteem of others or whatever it is they hold on to and think better than you. I pray, Lord, that they would see the beauty of Jesus and turn, repent, and trust in him. Lord, we we pray that you could do all this because these are things only you can do. And we pray that you do it for the glory of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. And so we're here in, in Hebrews chapter 1. This is the first week of our uh, Advent series. You might wonder, like, okay, Advent, what's that? We're not used to that. Advent means arrival. And so during Advent, we think about Jesus' first arrival, his first coming, and we think about his second coming. We live in a time between the times, between his first coming and his second coming. And Advent actually is a centuries-old tradition of Christians to get their hearts right, to get their hearts ready, so that when Christmas comes, their, their hearts are right for that. And guys, we need that even more than those who started this, right? We need Advent even more than people centuries ago um, because it's so easy for us to get off track on this. I just want to say to those of you who are parents this morning, don't wait until Christmas morning to get your heart fixed on Christ. That's a terrible time to do it. It's like you're going down the freeway and you see your exit and it's, and it's here, and you're swerving your whole van and your whole family to try and hit that exit all of a sudden. You guys have been there on a, on a Christmas morning where, you know, you unwrap everything and everybody's excited and then it all, you got a pile of trash in front of you and, and you're just feeling like somehow, I think we missed it. I think we missed what this was about. And it's a little late, dads, for you to pull out the, the story of Christmas and try to like, you know, swerve the whole family there. Advent is about getting our hearts right this whole time, that all through these next four weeks that we would fix our hearts on Christ, that we would celebrate his incarnation the whole time. It'll be a much smoother ride for you, and it'll be a much more productive season, because this season has all kinds of stresses to it, doesn't it? It has financial stresses, it has family stresses, it has all sorts of other things mixed in here, but if our hearts are on the incarnation, guys, we're going to be using this as a season of worship. 
And what's super cool, guys, is that the Lord has provided the right weather. Okay, like it was like 90 degrees, and now look at it. It's nice and cold. We've got snow wrapped all the way around the valley on all these mountains. It's beautiful, right? And then the world has put up the decorations for us, which is awesome. You know, a lot of the world doesn't know why these decorations are out, but we know what they're out for. They're out for Jesus. And so all these decorations have been put out, and now it's for us to focus on the biblical meaning, the biblical meaning. So we have the decor. God provided some. The world provided some. And now we bring that meaning by doing Advent. You guys, um, on your chairs or in the back, we have these Advent guides. And Josh, uh, who also made your pancakes and prepped food all day yesterday, had time to make these as well. These are custom Advent guides for you guys. And this isn't just for families. This is for for anyone. You can do it with friends. You can do it with a neighbor. You can do it with um, with anyone. Um, And you'll just go through each Sunday night, you do one of the candles of Advent. And what he's got here for you guys is you'll have somebody light a candle. You have a reading. And then you'll have a discussion area here. And then something to pray. And then there's activities. And the activities are really cool. Josh was like, you know, the Advent guide we used before, you know, he probably regretted wanting to make his own because this is a ton of work. I mean, I just, it's crazy what he did here. But the activities in the old Advent guide were like, take your family caroling in the neighborhood. How many of you guys took your families caroling in the neighborhood? Anyone? Okay, one very outgoing fellow, Carlo here, took his family caroling in the neighborhood, okay? The rest of you did not. Why? Because you're not going to do that. So what do you do? He came up with an activity, which is do virtual caroling. Okay, so you take a video of your family singing a song and text it to people. That you'll do. Would you do that, Johnny? Johnny would do that. He's, he's committing to it right now. He's kind of shook his head like in a, a circular manner. I wasn't sure what it meant. We've also got songs here. So if you take your, your phone and you click on this code, it'll take you to the song. So you have, you know, some, some accompaniment. So you don't have to do this alone. But it's just a really cool opportunity, and we're just so blessed that Josh does all this. I mean, super blessed to have an elder that will, like, spend the time to, you know, serve in children's and, and care about families and, and do all these things. Super blessed by that. So what you'll do tonight is go through that. You have a reading, discussion, prayer, some sort of activity. And then if you have kids, you let them light a candle. And this is fun because kids love fire. And so it's an opportunity, and they'll fight over it. So you let one do one each week, and so you'll light the first candle, and you want to get five of them. They don't have to be amazing. And so uh, four, week, four Sundays, and then this will be your Christmas Eve one, and we've got something for you guys to do for each one of them. So it's going to be a super great time for you guys to, to focus your whole household on this. During this Advent, what we're going to do this, this four weeks is we're going to look at what Jesus was born to do. And uh, Calvin and the Reformers talked about the three offices of Christ, that Christ had three offices, that Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And so what we're going to do is look at those three um, these next four weeks. And we can see them all in Hebrews. Take again a look at Hebrews 1, 1. You'll see all three, prophet, priest, and king here. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, prophet whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, priest, 
He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, king. You see all three there. And all three of those, prophet, priest, and king, were important offices in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, no one person was allowed to hold all three offices. There was kind of a check and balance there in that um, you couldn't be both king and priest or king and prophet. It, It was separate. And you guys remember famously Saul, he tried to offer a sacrifice as a priest when he was a king, and he lost his kingdom because of it. And these three offices of Christ, though, also, not only are they the offices of the Old Testament, they are also the three needs every human being has, the three greatest needs every human being has. All of us need truth from a prophet. We all live in confusion. We need our confusion straightened out with revelation, and that comes through a prophet. Um, We all have a need to have our guilt taken care of. All of us are sinners. All of us need our guilt taken away. That's the office of the priest, to take away guilt and give us forgiveness. And we all have fear, especially about the future. And the job of a king was to take fearful people and give them hope. And so we're going to look at all those three throughout the next week. We'll do, weeks. We'll do each one. And you've got these invite cards. It says, born to set thy people free. And um, God is, through Jesus, setting us free from confusion, guilt, and fear. Right? And so, guys, this is a great season. Advent is a great season for you to share what you found in Jesus. All three of these are very easy to talk about. All three of these are, are definite human needs. Every single human being needs those three things. And so let's look at the first one. Jesus was born to be our prophet, to make God known. You see that in the beginning of verse 1. It says, long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken by his son. In the Old Testament, the prophets made God known, right? You needed a prophet to tell you who is God, what's he like, what does he require. All those things came through um, the prophets. And the prophets were an amazing gift that God gave to his people because otherwise his people would be in total confusion. And yet God provided prophets to declare God's truth to him. And we too, guys, live in a time of great confusion, don't we? Does our culture have a good handle on truth in general? No, we have a very bad handle on truth. We're having a very hard time with very simple things. We're having a very hard time understanding very simple things like gender, um, the, the value of human life, of whether there's truth at all. I mean, we've really lost it, you know? We've really turned into a, a culture that's very, very confused in many, many ways. We don't really know what we're doing. And yet, and what we need, guys, is we need revelation, we need revelation from God. We don't need more speculation. A lot of times we go like, oh, here's a problem. Let me speculate. We've done enough of that. We're very confused. We've worked our way totally down a, a, a rabbit hole of speculation. What we need is revelation, and that's the role of the prophet. And notice that he said here that in the Old Testament that God gave prophets that spoke in many times and in many ways. This is really fun to do when you think about the prophets and you think of all the different ways that God spoke through the prophets. Remember Elijah? He spoke and he had powerful miracles, right? You know, you call down fire from heaven and stuff like that, right? He spoke and he had great miracles. You also have like Ezekiel. Ezekiel spoke, but he also had these bizarre acts of performance art that God told him to do. One of them was, you know, you're going to talk about, okay, Israel's going to get attacked. It's going to get siege. Here's what I want you to do, Ezekiel. Make a little diorama and attack it. And people will come up and wonder what you're doing. He's on the ground. He's attacking it. He was told to lay on one side and then lay on the other side. All these things corresponded. The prophets were given these weird acts to do. Um, Hosea, he spoke about God's love for his people, but he also intentionally married a prostitute. That's what God told him to do as a picture of God's love for his adulterous people. 
He spoke in many times and in many ways, right? Or you can think about Isaiah had this booming, beautiful poetry, but he also had to walk around naked for a while. And that was the, he was doing as a demonstration. God told him to walk around naked to show that, it, that Egypt was going to be stripped naked. Isn't this crazy? It's hard to be a prophet, right? Might end up doing some weird stuff, right? Jeremiah, he came speaking, but with heartfelt weeping. Guys, God spoke in many times and in many ways. God speaks, guys, in a way to break through our distractions and to get our attention. And God still does that. How many of you guys this year or in recent past have had God break your uh, distractions and get your attention? He does it many, many times and in many ways, doesn't he? Because, guys, it's important that he be heard. God is doing it out of love. He must be heard by you. You cannot continue to ignore him. It's urgent that he be heard. It's urgent in the same way as a person sleeping in a burning building. It's urgent for them to wake up. And God will use many ways to do this. One of the ways he'll often use is pain. How many of you guys came to the Lord through pain? Pain was the thing that was necessary for God to wake you up from your distraction. Praise God for that, right? Um, C.S. Lewis said this, he said, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He speaks in many times and in many ways. The most famous uh, prophet in the Old Testament, though, must have been Moses, right? Moses was that archetype prophet, and God promised that one day there was a prophet coming that was better than Moses, he said this in Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up from that for them a prophet from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever does not listen to my words that he shall speak, I myself will require it of him. And Jesus is that final prophet, that one that's greater than any other. And we can see why in, in, um, in Hebrews here, can you see why he's the greater prophet? He's the greater prophet because he is actually God's unique son. Look at verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The Greek there is kind of jarring. It says, in son. In these last days, he's spoken to us in son. And what he's emphasizing there is that all these other people were just people. But this final prophet is God's own son. And he needs to be listened to with an intensity that you didn't even listen to the Old Testament prophets. It's a bigger deal. You guys remember the transfiguration? There's this really strange situation that happened in Mark 9 where Peter, James, and John, Jesus takes those three up on the mountain, and it says that he was transfigured, which means his glory was showing, right? It was like in some way God allowed his glory to show forth through Jesus so you could really see who he was. He didn't just look like a plain old man. It says he was transfigured before him and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Really interesting scene. And Peter says to Jesus, he's kind of freaked out, and he says, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and Mark says, for he did not know what he was saying. He was terrified. So Peter's like, oh, I get it. Prophets. Moses, prophet. Elijah, prophet. Jesus, prophet. Let's make them all little houses, right? Let's make little booths for them. They're like, I see, it's the three. And what was God's response? Verse 7, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around, and there was no one there but Jesus. Isn't that amazing? In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. Jesus is the ultimate voice of God. 
He's the ultimate voice of God also because he is God. Take a look at verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is God. We can see that here because he's the owner, it says, the creator and sustainer of the world. Those are God's job description, right? It also says that he is the exact image of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. And then what? The exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is God in the flesh. What better prophet? What better person to tell you who God is and what he's like and what he requires than God himself in the flesh? And guys, you have in this book that prophet, that God-man, God in the flesh's words you have right here. You can hear from him anytime. You can open his word and see his very words. And I just ask you, are you listening to him? Are you listening to him? Do you make a habit of hearing from him? Do you listen to him? Does he have your attention? Jesus is not a life consultant you can ignore. That he'll come around when you need him, kind of like a genie or a life consultant. And then when you don't really want him interfering in your business, you can kind of put him away. He's not that kind of person. Remember what Deuteronomy said, whoever will not listen to his words God himself will require it of him. Jesus is, was born to be the ultimate prophet, to make God known, to free us from our confusion. What, I don't think you, if you've grown up in the church or you've always been a Christian for a really long period of time, you don't know how valuable this is, guys, to have Jesus and to have his words and to know what reality is and know what you're here for and know what, what, what it means to be a human being and know what God's like. And I mean, you just don't even know the treasure you have. So many live in confusion. And so next week we'll look more into this and we'll see that he is the ultimate prophet to take away our confusion and that he is a gift to skeptics. These next three weeks I'm going to talk about Jesus is a gift to skeptics, he's a gift to sinners, and he's a gift to cynics. And next week is he's a gift to skeptics because he makes it totally clear who to follow. And we're going to look at how the fact of his resurrection makes it crystal clear that he's the one to listen to. There's no confusion. We'll look at that next week. Secondly, Jesus was born to be priest. You see that in verse 3? To make a way to God, verse 3 in the middle, it says, after making purification for sin, he sat down. In the Old Testament, guys, the, the priests uh, purified the people. They would make a way to, to, the, to God for the people. They'd purify, make them clean so they could appear before God. And Aaron's kind of the best known of the Old Testament priests. We too need purification, don't we? All of us. We're sinners, right? We're unpure. We're unclean. God is holy. We cannot be in his presence. We have no, no right to be near him. You read the Old Testament, and this is the exact same God you have to deal with today in the Old Testament. You say, oh, he's a little harsh. This is the holy God that you have to deal with today. He has not changed. He's exactly the same, and there's only one way to him, and that's through purity. And so we, like them, need a priest that would purify us and make us clean to be able to come in his presence. And there were problems promises about a servant, right? In the Old Testament, there were promises that somebody's going to come and make us pure, make us right, make us clean. Um, you can think about Isaiah 53, and we'll look at that in two weeks. It's an awesome passage about this person that was promised to be better than all those Old Testament uh, priests because he could purify us permanently. Take a look at verse 3 again. It says, after Jesus made purification for sins, he what? sat down. Okay, this sitting down thing is amazing. I don't know if you realize this. It's amazing that he sat down. You know in the Old Testament law, it gave really clear details about how the system of purification worked. There was a temple, and there was an outer court, 
and then there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. And only the high priest could go into the holy of holies, and he could only go in there once a year, and he had to go in there with blood to purify away for the people. Um, once a year, he entered into that most sacred place. And if you look at the book of Exodus, you can see all the furniture that was in, the, in this uh, temple. In the outer court, there was like a place to wash, and there was an altar, and then you come in a little further into the holy place, and you've got like there was a table for inc- an altar for incense, and a table for the bread of presence, and some lampstands, and some decorative pillars, and then you go into the holy of holies, and in there, there's just an ark, right? You know what kind of furniture is missing from all this? When you look at all this furniture, you got tables, you got places to wash, you got lampstands. You know what's missing from all this? A chair. Nowhere to sit down. Which is interesting because, you know, on these high holy days, these priests are running around doing all this stuff. It'd be nice for them to have a little bench, a little spot to sit. Maybe they took breaks, you know, some on, off, you know. Oh, you take a break. Here, you take your 10-minute, you know, or whatever, right? Nowhere to sit. Nowhere to sit, guys, because it would, it would never be appropriate for an Old Testament pro- priest to sit there because their work of purification was never done. It was an endless, ongoing impossible to complete project. They couldn't purify the people. Hebrews um, 10.3 says, in these sacrifices there was a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so they have this futility of constantly working on purifying the people. There was no place to sit because their work was never done. But what's cool is that on the cross, Jesus made that ultimate blood sacrifice that truly cleansed our sin, and as he died, he said what no, no Old Testament priest could say. You remember what he said? It is finished. No Old Testament prophet could ever do that, or priest could ever do that. They could never go home like, well, that's done. You know, close up shop, right? No, they couldn't. It was never done. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Forty days after that, he ascended into heaven. And for the first time, a priest sat down in the presence of God in the true Holy of Holies. It is finished. It's done. The work of purification complete. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus has done. Jesus was born to be our ultimate priest who made full purification for our sins. I just want to ask you this morning, you need to take this as a real question to you personally, not that I'm talking to somebody next to you, but are you trusting in Jesus as your priest? Or are you trusting in your own works or rituals to somehow purify yourself? We do this, right? We do this. We look at the finished work of Jesus and we try to finish it. But it's the finished work of Jesus. He sat down and rested from the work of purification. Are you resting in him? You look a little further in Hebrews, it talks about the Sabbath. And now the Sabbath is a picture of resting in the final work of Jesus. Are you resting in the final work of Jesus? Are you trusting in him as your priest? In two weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus is a gift for sinners. Third, Jesus was born to be our king. I love this. Check this out. So that's also in verse 3. It's very tightly packed. He was born to be our king, to make the world right. Take a look at it. Verse, the end of verse 3. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I love this. You think about the three offices in the Old Testament. We already looked at, you have prophets, they made God known, priests, purified us, make a way, way to God, and then kings. What were kings to do? King's job, a king's job was to rule in such a way that God's will would be done on earth. You know, they weren't to rule for themselves. The, the job of a king in Israel was to rule in such a way that God's will got done. And that's why when you see all the, pro, all the kings and the reports of them, 
you know, it'll say, you know, he did all this, this was great, but he left the high places, which was an alternate way to sacrifice. But he did this. What's the deal? I mean, no matter how good he was with the economy, no matter how good he was from protecting people from other places, if there was still idolatry in the land, he wasn't a good king, right? The job of a king is to reign in such a way that God's will is done. And guys, we need a king. I know as Americans, we're like, we don't need no king. We do need a king. We need a king, guys, because our sin has let all kinds of chaos into this world. Okay? When you look at the news and you look at all the problems and you look at all the chaos, what you're seeing is the effects of human sin in all different ways. God gave kings to subdue that chaos and to set the world right. The best example of that was who in the Old Testament? Best example of a king. David. David number one, right? And some of the kings were good. A lot of them were horrendous. And if you have a study Bible, you have a little chart. It's like, here's a list of kings. Good, just a few. Kind of terrible, just several. And then horrible, okay? So that's the list. And a lot of bad kings. But God promised David that one day a descendant of his would be the ultimate king that would reign forever. It's called the Davidic Covenant. It was a promise that God made to David that there's a king coming and he's going to reign forever, which is a weird promise. And I think even at that time, they'd be like, how's that going to work? You can reign forever. That's odd. How do we get a forever reigning king, right? Jesus is that promised perfect king. Um, I, uh, I intentionally left something out earlier when I mentioned the, uh, the furniture. There actually was one place to sit. Yes, there was one place to sit. It wasn't really a chair, though, okay? It was on top of the ark. It's called the mercy seat, right? No human being could touch it, much less sit on it. You try sitting on that, you're dead quick, I think, right? That was a throne for Yahweh, guys. Jesus now sits on that throne. He sits on the throne of Yahweh because he is Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus is the perfect king. And, and Hebrews is so great on this. So, and it's why he's the perfect king. Look at verse 3. He's the perfect king because he's a universal king. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All other rulers, no matter how big their empire, no matter how much their power, are like small town city councilmen compared to Jesus. Jesus is the universal king. He reigns over all the universe and over all time. Okay? All worlds belong to him. Jesus is the unending king. Look at verse 8. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. All other rulers are just a flash in the pan. They couldn't even complete one term, right? Jesus reigns eternally. That's what you want, by the way. When you get a really good king like Jesus, you don't want term limits. You want him to go on forever. And he's going to go on forever. When he reigns in this world and makes it new, he's going to reign it forever. He's also, guys, a good king. Look at verse 8 again, the second half. It says, the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of his kingdom. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. All other rulers, by comparison to Jesus, no matter how good they are, are evil compared to Jesus. Jesus is the perfect good king. Jesus is also, check this out, the happy king. Look at verse 9. He's the happy king. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond all your companions. You think of Jesus that way? He's a happy king. He's a joyful king. Jesus is the happiest of all beings. You say, I had a good weekend. Not compared to Jesus. Jesus is the happiest of all beings. He is anointed with the oil of gladness beyond all of his companions. He is the happiest of all beings, which is good news for us because he has the happiest of all kingdoms, right? You want a happy king. 
You want a good, powerful, happy king that never dies. That's what you want. And that's what we have in Jesus. Jesus is also a victorious king. Look at verse 13. God the Father said to Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Isn't that awesome? No other ruler, guys, can deliver on his promises. No other ruler delivers on their promises. You look at all their promises and they never deliver. Jesus defeat, will defeat all of our enemies. He defeats all our enemies, including death. How's that for a campaign promise? Here's what we do. Economy's going to be booming and no one's ever going to die. Like, that's great, right? Look at this. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same, that through his death he might destroy the power of death, the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He's removing all our problems. You know he's removed all our problems when he removes death. His people will be raised from the dead to live on in glorified, real, physical human bodies that never die. In a real, glorified, physical world that will never end. That is what Jesus does. He's victorious, guys. And the good news of the gospel is if you'll trust in Jesus, this king who's, let's look at it. This king who's universal and unending and good and happy and victorious. This king, if you're trusting in him, loves you and he's reigning for you right now. That's the good news of the gospel, guys. Look at verse 13. God the Father said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is in two phases. There's the inaugurated part of his kingdom, which happened at the ascension, that he went and sat right at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he, I'm about to do the Apostles' Creed when I did that. Um, I'm going to keep on going. Um, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he is reigning right now. He is in control of all things right now. Um, Jesus' sovereignty is, is there right now. He rules over the entire universe as a king, and his will is the ultimate reason that everything happens. He's in complete control. He's completely sovereign. When we say Jesus is Lord, that's what we mean. We mean that he is already reigning as king. You say, well, I'm not experiencing all the benefits of it. And I know that because that's the inauguration. What's coming is the consummation. When Jesus returns and he answers that prayer that you pray probably every day from the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray that, that's actually a request that gets answered when Jesus returns to this place and makes all things new. Jesus was born to be king. He was born to subdue, guys, all evil and set the world right. That's, that's good news. That's news you can take out in a world like ours. That'll preach, right? Jesus was born to be king. He's going to subdue all evil and set the world right. And this Sunday right before Christmas, we'll look at Jesus' good news to cynics. Jesus' good news to people who have lost hope. Jesus is good news to people who think all the promises never really come true, right? Jesus' is good news to cynics because he trades our fear for hope. So, guys, let's make this, you know, let's make this season of Advent a time to make Jesus known. I know that for some Christians... Uh, Rarely talk about Jesus outside of church. Rarely talk about Jesus outside your home. This is a great time to talk about Jesus, okay? Every time is a great time to talk about Jesus. But this is a very, very great time to talk about Jesus. We should be talking about him to each other. We should be talking about him to our kids. We should be talking to, him, uh, to our neighbors about Jesus. They need to know, guys, that Jesus is born to be prophet, priest, and king. That he's come to solve all the greatest problems of humanity, 
This is something we want to tell people. And each one of those is a great on-ramp because it's not like you're talking about Jesus to people that don't have a need for him. They don't think they have a need for him. But let me ask this. Do they have confusion? Do they have guilt? Do they have fear? Jesus' solution to all three of those, right? Each one of those is a great on-ramp for the gospel. Our confusion, um, we come to him as prophet and we hear the truth. Our guilt, we come to him as priest and he gives us forgiveness and love. Our problem of fear, we see him as king and we know he is in control. And we know that we don't have to be afraid and that we can hope in him. You know the solution to everyone's greatest problems. You're not coming to them for problems that they don't have. The secular culture tells us that, right? You have your thing, they have their thing. So when you come into their world with your thing, it doesn't relate to them because they're in their world. And you've hopped into their world and you brought them something that doesn't relate to them. Oh, we're not that type. It's like, no, the whole world's Jesus's world. We all have these same problems. Jesus is the solution to those. And so don't fall for that. We have the solution. And you're not bringing them, what's so cool is you're not bringing them your philosophy. You're not bringing them your, uh, you know, product you want to sell them. You're not bringing them a piece of technology. You're bringing them a person. You're talking about Jesus. And you go, well, I'm not into religion. And that's fine. Let's talk about Jesus. You got, you got confusion. You got guilt. You got fear. You need Jesus, right? Like, well, I'm not the religious type. Type doesn't, doesn't matter. Let me tell you about Jesus. This is what Jesus was born to be. He's born to be our prophet, priest, and king. And um, as we take the Lord's Supper, this time of Advent relates really well to the Lord's Supper because we live in a time between the times. So we live in the time between his comings, his first coming and his second coming. And when God instituted the Lord's Supper, he gave this as our time of remembrance and feeding for the time between the times. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, that's his first coming, until he comes, second coming. So this is the way he's designed to feed us in the time between the times, between the first and the second coming. And there's a word that, there's an Aramaic word that the church used to talk about this time between the times. Have you guys heard the word Maranatha before? It's a very common in some church backgrounds to say Maranatha. Maranatha actually has two potential meanings. The Lord has come or come Lord. It's either a statement that he's come, that's one way to use it, or it's asking the Lord to come. And both fit in the time between the times, right? We, that's what the Lord's Supper is about. That's what Advent's about. It's about remembering he has come and he will come. Just, and this is why it's so important to do Advent too, is just as Jesus came just as promised, he came the first time, he's going to come just as promised the second time. I think some of us have an easier time with the first one, and we wonder about the second one. He came just as promised the first time, he'll come just as promised the second time. And so he's given us this to feed on, to feed on Christ and be strengthened for the time between the times. And, and I would just want to ask you, this as we close, do you listen to Jesus' prophet? And think about your life this week. Think about your trajectory of your life. Are you listening to Jesus as prophet? Is he the one that gives you truth? Do you bring your confusion to him to find truth? And I'd ask you too, do you trust in Jesus as priest? Are you trusting in his work of purification, not your own, to be made right with him? And then are you surrendering to Jesus as king? He's a king, not just a future king. He's a present king. Kingdom comes first in our lives, in our fellowship, in our church, in our families. 
And then he brings the kingdom fully. But are you surrendered to him as king? People talk about, well, you know, I have him as savior, but not as Lord. So he's a savior king. It's one package. There isn't savior and Lord. I believe him as savior, but I don't have him as Lord. That's not an option. Messiah means savior king. He's one package. Are you surrendering to him as king? And guys, he's the best possible person to surrender to. In whatever area it is, maybe it's some sort of um, thing with your lust, or maybe it's something with a grudge that you're holding, or maybe it's some shady thing you do financially, or, or maybe it's just, you know, your rampant anger, or maybe there's some sin you need to confess to a friend, friend or a family member, and you're just not willing to do it. Guys, it's hard to surrender to Jesus, but it's a lot easier than what you're doing right now, right? Especially if he's, he's got his hands on you. Like, we can do this the easy way, or we can do it the hard way. He knows how to do it the hard way. Surrender today. Surrender to him today. And if, if you're in that place, if your intention in your heart is to surrender to him, tell him, and then take the Lord's Supper and be fed by it. You're in a repentant frame. And so let's take it, let's remember, let's receive, and let's rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have provided us your very own son, your very own son. We like Moses. We like Isaiah. You sent us your son. Even in the Old Testament, the way that you interacted with your people was incredibly merciful and gracious. The way you provided for them. The way you provided them a, a temporary type purification. as they waited for their Messiah, as they trusted ahead of time for the Messiah that would come for them, the one who would save them that they hadn't even seen yet. But Lord, we have a better thing. You've shown us our salvation. You've shown us your son. And we pray, Lord, that we would not ignore him, that we would not let things be distracting us, that our attention would be drawn away from him, that we would drift, as Hebrews talks about. Lord, we pray that you would do whatever it takes to get our attention. And I know as I pray that, there's some in this room that say, no, 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 don't want that. Lord, that is the best thing for us. We pray you get our attention. We pray you save us. We pray you hold us. We pray you keep us. And Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we've been fed by the word, and now we get to be fed at your table, we pray, Lord, that we would take it in a worthy manner and that it would be true food and true drink for us. Strengthen us, Lord. We need it as we go back to work tomorrow or all the different things, school, and whatever we have going on. We're going to need you in us. We need Christ in us. And so we pray, feed us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let's stand for worship here. And then if, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ and parents, uh, make sure it's appropriate for your kids. You can come forward anytime during the next few songs. Take it together with the person next to you. You take it alone if you want to. But let's take and remember and receive. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.